You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to This Week in the History of College Football. I'm your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is noted football historian, the guru of college football, Jay Abramson. Jay, how are you this fine day? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, and I want to take time to thank you for allowing me to appear on your wonderful radio show. Uh, the pleasure is all ours, my friend. We are, uh, we're thankful to have you, and this week in the history of college football, we will count down the famous plays, players, teams, events, and happenings in college football throughout history, and this week we're going to count down December 7 through December 13. Now, when we started this program, we started with... Uh, August 31st, and uh, the first few episodes, we had to scramble because college football really, in the uh, early days, didn't get started until the beginning or the middle of October, and uh, I have a feeling we're going to run into some of that same as we get into the days of December, but Jay tells me that he has lots of memories to spin for us in our program, so Jay, let's get started. Yes, sir. December, uh, excuse me, December 9th, on this date, 1899. Chicago Maroons 17, Wisconsin Badgers 0. On the last game of the season, Chicago entered the game 15-0-2 and were coached by the legend Amos Alonjo Stagg. This was their 18th game of the season. They were undefeated and had given up a total of 23 points all season, and that's in 17 games, mind you. Wisconsin entered the game 9-0 and were coached by a college Hall of Famer, Phil King. The win propelled the Marines to a 16-0-2 record that season. That is amazing that they played that many games back then. And uh, maybe that was the uh, game of the century for the uh, 19th century, Jay. <laughs> and <laughs> it is, uh, it's amazing when we, uh, we start talking about games of the century. And it seems like every decade had one. But 1899, December... Ninth. Thanks for that memory, Jay, and thanks for starting out with an old, old memory. I really appreciate those. Those are fun. Where are we going next? December 13th, on this date, 1973. John Capaletti gave his acceptance speech as he accepted the Heisman Trophy. His heartfelt words dedicating the trophy to his brother Joey, or Joseph, who had leukemia, moved the nation. That season... Capaletti rushed for 1,522 yards and finished the season with three straight 200-yard rushing performances as Penn State went 12-0 and and finished number five in the nation. That's a great memory, and uh, it did grip the nation. Um, I'm probably about 14 or 15 years old at that time, and then a movie came out, Something for Joey, and uh, it really did captivate everyone and uh, showed the the very human side of college football. And I think that's always important for us to recount and remember as well. And back in these days, uh, many people might not remember, but Penn State was a power. But they were a power that played some of the smaller schools in the East, and they were not really considered a big boy until... Late 70s, 80s, joining the Big Ten, and uh, 
the uh, Joe Paterno-led teams, whatever you think of Joe Paterno now, but the Joe Paterno-led teams dominated East Coast football during this time frame. And to uh, to see one of their players, John Capoletti, not only win the Heisman, but do it in such a classy, classy way. Uh, there was not a dry eye in the house after that acceptance speech. December 13, 1973. An amazing, an amazing memory. And those are the kind of memories that we're spinning for you here. This week in the history of college football, we're looking at December 7 through December 13 throughout history. We've got Jay Abramson, the uh, college football historian par excellence. Check him out at historyofcollegefootball.com. There's just an amazing array of things there. His podcasts are top-notch, and we're thankful for him spinning memories for us on this program. Jay, where are we going next? December 12th, on this date, 1987, Eastern Michigan 30, San Jose State 27, California Bowl. Oh, what an upset. San Jose State ended the game 10-1. and They were essentially playing a whole and it was a home game because it was a California Bowl, which is about a two-and-a-half-hour drive from San Jose to Fresno. Now, there were 17-point favorites over Eastern Michigan who entered the game 9-2. and two. But on the opening kickoff, Eastern Michigan's Glenard Smith really stunned the crowd as we turned the kickoff to the San Jose State 42. The Huron then drove 42 yards for a touchdown, and they took a 7 to nothing lead. It was a back-and-forth affair. Eastern Michigan trailed 27-23 and was at the San Jose State 32-yard line with 3.59 left in the game. Ron Adams' 32-yard touchdown pass to Craig Ostrander secured the stunning upset for the Hurons. Now, the Ypsilanti Press coined it one of the greatest upsets in bowl history. The Detroit Free Press, well, they called it a fairy tale ending come true. And that's not all. The Hurons may well have saved the Mac Bowl's affiliation as they secured the Mac Bowl's first win in four years after the conference posted three consecutive decisive losses. I love the Mac history. I love the uh, the way that you include the Mac with your podcasts and things like that. I've got a, a soft spot in my heart for the Mac conference for a lot of reasons. And December 12, 1987, the big upset in the California Bowl by Eastern Michigan. Great memory, great memory, Jay. Thank you so much. Spin us another one, would you please? December 11th. On this date, 1965, All-State 14, Texas A&I, now called Tennessee State, 14, the Grantland Rice Bowl. All-State entered the Grantland Rice Bowl 9-0, undefeated, untied, only the second Ball-State team to ever run the table in the regular season. And they entertained aspirations of a perfect season. Yes, they were 12-point underdogs to Texas, uh, to Tennessee A&I, excuse me, who entered the game 9-0. Down 6 to nothing in the second quarter. Ball State stormed back with two touchdowns to take a 14-6 lead into halftime. After a scoreless third quarter, Ball State clung to a 14-6 lead late in the fourth quarter. With a little over two minutes remaining, here's what happened. Ball State punted, and Texas A&I's Nolan Smith fielded it at his own 26-yard line and raced 74 yards for a touchdown to cut the lead to 14-12. Texas A&I converted the two-point conversion. Now the game was tied with 2.08 remaining. On the ensuing possession, Ball State's Quarterback Frank House threw an interception at the Ball State 37. Now, Texas A&I drove down the field. And on the final play of the game, Texas A&I's Joseph Cooper caught a pass and was stopped three yards short of the goal line. 
Texas A&I hustled to the line to get off one more play, but time expired. The 14-14 tie preserved the undefeated season for Ball State, but it derailed the perfect season. December 11, 1965, the Grantland Rice Bowl. And uh, Ball State is uh, another one of those teams that has a rich and storied history and uh, many people do not know about uh, the history of some of these uh, smaller schools, these uh, Mac schools, these Ohio schools and uh, Texas A&I. I have not heard that name in a long time, Jay. So thank you so much for that memory from 1965. This is this week in the history of college football, we're looking at December 7 through December 13 in the history of college football. We've got Jay Abramson, noted college football historian, spinning memories for us, taking us down memory lane. There is so much history and so little time to recount it. Spin us another memory, would you, Jay? It's funny that you mentioned they hadn't heard of the Tennessee A&I team because they pop up again at number five. December 12th, on the state, 1970. Tennessee State, then Tennessee State, 26, Louisiana Lafayette, 25, Grantland Rice Bowl. Oh, what a game. Louisiana Lafayette ended the game 9-2. and The Tennessee State ended the game 10-0. and Playing in the second bowl game ever, the Cajuns found themselves behind 14-0 at the end of the first quarter. But the Cajuns stormed back to cut the lead down to 14-10 by halftime. After scoreless third quarter, the Cajuns picked up the pace, scoring 13 points, making it now 25 unanswered points to take a 25 to 14 lead with 8 minutes 52 seconds remaining. But Tennessee stormed back with a furious rally of their own, scored two late touchdowns in the span of under three minutes to secure the stunning win. Tennessee State, formerly known as Tennessee A&I, and uh, Louisiana Lafayette is no longer called Louisiana Lafayette. They're just Louisiana. Uh, so we have, uh, we have lots of name changing going on, and uh, we've got a uh, uh, friend here in Lincoln that uh, is from Mississippi, and he always refers to Louisiana Lafayette as ooh-la-la. And uh, I always uh, get a kick out of that as well. December 12, 1970, once again, the Grantland Rice Bowl, Tennessee State and Louisiana Lafayette. Great memory for us, Jay. I know you've got lots of them for us tonight. We don't want to talk too much about some of these things. We want to get to these memories. Where are we going next? Well, you and I are the same age, and one of my earliest recollections was the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. I was in kindergarten. December 7th, yes. December 7th, on the state, 1963. Navy quarterback Roger Storback led number two Navy over Army 21 to 15. This was the game that was originally scheduled in late November, but was rescheduling following the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. The, uh, the hype surrounding Roger Storback was amazing in 1963 and he was set to be on the cover of time magazine and several other major publications and all of that got derailed with the assassination of uh, president kennedy it uh it is a uh, haunting time to look back to it is a, a time of great controversy because uh, most of college football canceled their games the nfl 
made a decision to keep playing their games. And uh, the nation, uh, according to the NFL, um, said uh, we need a distraction. We need football to uh, get our minds off of this uh, horrific loss and horrific tragedy. So however you fall on that side of the debate, to know that um, sports is sports. It is entertainment. It is relief. It is a release from the things that are going on. And uh, we dare not take it too seriously, but it has a good place to uh, help us get our minds off of the real cares and worries and sometimes chaos in this world. Jay, that's a great memory. December 7, 1963. Thank you. I think we got time for one more before our break. All right, December 9th, happy birthday, middle linebacker Dick Buckus, Illinois fighting Illini, Chicago Bears. Arguably the most feared linebacker of all time. In 1963, Dick Buckus made 145 tackles and forced 10 fumbles to lead the Illini to a number three ranking in the final AP poll. After a senior season, the Bears possessed the third and fourth picks in the 65 draft, and they drafted Dick Buckus and Gale Sayers. College and Pro Football Hall of Fame. Green Bay running back MacArthur Lane may have summed it up best, as he said of Dick Buckus. If I had a choice, I'd sooner go one-on-one with the Grizzly Bear. I prayed that I could get up every time Buckus hit me. Happy birthday, Dick Buckus. December 9. Happy birthday, Dick Buckus. And uh, just a little side note, uh, there have been times in my life when I have been asked if I was Dick Budkus and if I could uh, give people their autograph. So uh, <laughs> th- that uh, uh, Mike Didka as well. So um, the Conrad Dobler as well. So I've got one of those faces that people recognize. They just don't recognize it as me. Oh, Jay, thanks for that. We need to take a break this week in the history of college football, December 7th through 13th. We'll be right back. Thank you. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to This Week in the History of College Football. I'm your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is noted college football historian Jay Abramson. On this program, we're reliving the events from December 7 through December 13 in the history of college football. In our first segment, we went from 1899 all the way to 1987. We had uh, a birthday greeting for Dick Butkus, born on December 9. We uh, had a couple of Uh, trips to the Grantland Rice Bowl, one trip to the California Bowl, and a stunning memory of John Capoletti's acceptance speech for the Heisman, December 13, 1973. Jay, it is uh, always an honor to talk to you and an honor to have you spin us some college football memories. Where are we going to go next? Well, it's an honor to be on your wonderful radio broadcast. I want to thank you again. December 9th, on this date, 1961. Baylor 24, Utah State 9, the Gotham Bowl. Number 10, Utah State ended the game 10 0. Coach John Ralston's 1961 Aggies outscored their opponents 396 102 and finished number 10 in the final AP poll. 
Now, this was the program's highest ranking ever in the final AP poll. Their vaunted lights-out defense, well, they were led by the Outland Trophy winner Merlin Olsen. Baylor was 5-5. Five and five. Played at the Polo Grounds in New York, Utah State fell behind 10-0 at halftime, 17-3 by the end of the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, Baylor scored yet again, yet again against Utah State's vaunted defense to increase their lead to 24-3 and never look back to secure the stunning upset. The Gotham Bowl, you know, just saying that word, the Gotham Bowl, uh, evokes all kinds of memories. You know, you think of Batman and Gotham City. But uh, the Gotham Bowl was uh, kind of a forgotten bowl. It was played on the polo grounds in New York City. And uh, there's some rich Nebraska history with uh, regard to the Gotham Bowl the very next year in 1962. But that doesn't come until... um, Oh, December 15th, so we have saved that for another program. Um, Merlin Olson, many people know and love Merlin Olson. They know him from Little House on the Prairie. They know him from being part of the fearsome foursome with the Rams. Very, very few people realize that Merlin Olson played for Utah State. And uh, that is a great memory, if for no other reason, to give people that connection of Merlin Olson and Utah State, and hats off to uh, Baylor for uh, representing the uh, now defunct Southwest Conference, as it was called back in the day, December 9, 1961. Great memory, Jay. Thank you. Where are we going next? December 8th on this date, 1984. Troy State, and now called Troy, 18, North Dakota State, 17, Division Two. National Championship game. Troy, or Troy State back then, entered the game 11-1. They ran an explosive wishbone offensive attack, and they had aspirations of a national championship. Down 17-15, Troy was pinned at their own 10-yard line. The Trojans mounted a furious last-minute drive, and with the clock running out, the kicking team was rushed on the field, and as time expired, Tom Clem kicked a 50-yard field goal, the longest field goal in Division II playoff history, to secure the national championship the Troy Trojans. December 8, 1984. Uh, there's some great, great football that is played in the lower classes or lower divisions. I played uh, Division Two football way, way, way back in the olden days and uh, played North Dakota State, in fact. But uh, a great memory. And to now know that Troy that was playing Division II football as late as 1984 is Division I and has knocked off some big, big, big Power 5 teams. North Dakota State, uh, while they're in the uh, football championship division, formerly known as 1AA, they strike fear into the hearts of anyone, and they have pulled some stunning Power 5 upsets as well. Great memory, great football, and I would just encourage our hearers to pay attention to Division II football, Division III football, NAIA football, because there's some great football being played, and some of those players are going to end up playing on Sunday afternoons as well. Thank you for that memory, Jay. December 8, 1984, the Division II National Championship. Where are we going next? December 11th. Happy birthday, Doc Blanchard, Army Cadets. In 1945, Doc Blanchard rushed for 722 yards, 16 touchdowns, 
and 7.1 yards per carry. In three seasons at Army, Blanchard rushed for 1,670 yards, 30 touchdowns, and 5.9 yards per carry that year. 1945, Doc Landry was awarded the Heisman Trophy. Doc Landry was a three-time consensus All-American. Now, Doc Landry is in the College Football Hall of Fame, and he was Mr. Inside. Glenn Davis was Mr. Outside. And together, that backfield formed a devastating rushing attack that led Army to national championships in 1944, 1945, and 1946. Their attack in 1944 set an NCAA record as Army scored 56 points per game. In three years, these two backs led Army to three consecutive national championships. Happy birthday, Doc Blanchard. Happy birthday, December 11, Doc Blanchard, Mr. Inside. We've had these discussions before. Uh, you know, some of the greatest teams in the history of college football are Army teams from the mid-40s. And, uh, you know, whether that was fair or not with regard to Army having um, maybe the pick of the litter, if we can say it that way, with regard to the athletes. But, uh, you know, we've got some of those same questions with recruiting that goes on today. Uh, however you want to look at that, December 11, Doc Blanchard, 1945 Heisman Trophy winner, Happy birthday. Great memory, Jay. Thank you. Spin us another one, would you please? On December 12th, on the state 1970, Arkansas State 38, Central Missouri 21, Pecan Bowl. Number one Arkansas State entered the game 10 0, undefeated, untied, and had aspirations of a Division II national championship. And Central Missouri was 9 1. Arkansas State jumped out to a 17 7 halftime lead. And in the second half, the Indians' high-powered offense turned it up a notch, scoring 21 answered points in the second half to increase the lead to 38-7. In the fourth quarter, and they never looked back. The Indians, led by James Hamilton's three touchdown passes, amassed 509 yards in total offense. Indian Dennis Meyer intercepted two Central Missouri passers and propelled the Indians to an undefeated, untied season and a national championship. December 12, 1970, the Pecan Bowl, or Pecan Bowl, depending on where you're from, how you want to pronounce that. I would love, Jay, for for uh, you sometime to uh, spin some memories on the now-defunct bowls. Uh, the Pecan Bowl would be one. The Gotham Bowl would be another. We already mentioned that before. And uh, some great football, some great memories, and uh, memories that seem to be a little bit fleeting in uh, the era now of football playoffs and some of these kind of things, every game being on TV. Um, I doubt that the Pecan Bowl was on TV anywhere back then. Uh, this is this week in the history of college football. We're looking at December 7 through December 13. We've got Jay Abramson with us, the guru, the historian par excellence of college football. Check him out at historyofcollegefootball.com. Jay, take us down memory lane, would you please? I really like the idea, though, of concentrating on the defunct bowls on a podcast. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I do, too. December 9th on this date, 1978. Massachusetts 44, Nevada 21, Division I AA playoffs. Number one, Nevada entered the playoff game on a tear, 11-0, going undefeated and untied in the regular season, had aspirations of an undefeated national championship season. Now, aside from a 12-7 defeat of UC Davis, this team was unchallenged, as no team got within nine points of the Wolfpack. Massachusetts entered the game 8-3. Massachusetts came flying 
right out of the gates, taking a 21-7 lead in the first quarter. Her balloon lead jumped to 44-7 midway through the fourth quarter, and the Minutemen never looked back. This stunning loss derails all hopes of that perfect national championship season for the powerful Wolfpack. And you said that was the one double A playoffs, Jay? Yes, sir. Okay. One double A playoffs. Uh, December 9, 1978, and, uh, you know, Nevada has uh, has really, really uh, stepped up its game with regard to football recently, the uh, the last 20 or 30 years, and uh, you see them popping up on the schedule of some Power 5 teams. Uh, Massachusetts, uh, they, they've tried to get there. They're not there. Uh, maybe they will be at some point in time. One of the most stunning upsets in 1AA history, Massachusetts over Nevada. Great memory, Jay. And Jay, I want to take a moment and I want to throw one out at you, one that I discovered. Um, there's only one game in the history of college football played December 7th through 13 for the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And it has a little bit of a, an interesting story. December 7, 1918. Game was played in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Washington University of St. Louis, 20, Nebraska 7. Um, what what makes this game so special is Nebraska had a 10-game schedule at the beginning of the year. There were 12 schedule adjustments that were made during the year because of the flu epidemic that was going on all uh, throughout the country, but it hit Nebraska especially hard in October. They closed down the university. They banned any public gatherings from going on. Uh, there were wartime travel limits. And uh, one, of, one of the games that Nebraska ended up playing that year was against the um, Omaha Balloon Corps because you could only play military teams during a certain part. Uh, the Notre Dame game that year was... Uh, rescheduled three times it ended up being played the week before and uh, Notre Dame and Nebraska went to a nothing nothing tie but uh, under coach William G Klein Nebraska ended up being two three and one they got beat in their last game by Wash U 20 to uh, seven and the game was contested because Nebraska complained that there were players, military players, playing for Washington U that were not college athletes, and they were semi-pro players, should not have been on the game. December 7, 1918. How's that for a memory, Jay? That's an incredible memory. And he said seven games were rescheduled during the pandemic. My, my dad was one year old during the pandemic, and he, and he fell ill with whatever was causing the pandemic, and his grandmother thought the only thing to do was to put whiskey on his lips. And so they did every morning until he recuperated. What an incredible memory you gave. (laughs) Yeah, and it's hard to imagine those days until you think about some of the crazy things that happened during the COVID year of 2020. Jay, take us down memory lane one more time, would you please? December 10th on this date, 1972. Louisiana Tech 35, Tennessee Tech 0. Grantland Rice Bowl. Number two, Louisiana Tech entered the game 11-0, undefeated, untied, and had entertained really aspirations of the Division II National Championship at Tennessee State. Well, they entered the game 10-1. Now playing a virtually a home game in Baton Rouge in the first quarter, Louisiana Tech jumped out early on a 24-yard touchdown pass from Durant Johnson. In the second quarter, still up 7 to nothing, 
Bulldog linebacker Joel McNeely, who that day would go on to have 12 solo tackles and a fumble recovery, returned a 31-yard pick six, and the Bulldogs were up 14 to nothing. Louisiana Tech added two more second-quarter touchdowns to take a 28 to nothing lead in the halftime and never looked back to secure the national championship for Louisiana Tech. What a great memory, Jay, and uh, that is, that's the first time we've mentioned Louisiana Tech on this program, but that yes, is the third time that we've mentioned Tennessee State, formerly known as Tennessee A&I, and uh, imagine the power teams that they had back in the early 70s to be consistently in the Grantland Rice Bowl, the Division II National Championship. Jay, sadly... We are running out of time, and we need to bring this program to a close. We were looking at this week in the history of college football, December 7th through 13. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for the memories, and we'll be back again soon. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.